welcome to this month's episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with comedian, writer and performer, Mr. Mark Trevorrow, who you may also know as Australian legend and Prince of Polyester, Mr. Bob Down. So, hey, Mark, it's great to be chatting with you today. Hi, Paula. How are you? I am good. I'm all the better for chatting with you today. You know, it's a, yeah. a dream, dream come true for me. I'm in rainy Sydney. We've had a very wet summer and it's and it's drawing to a close. Yeah, you just you just finished Mardi Gras there, have you? We did. And for the first because of COVID, we couldn't do the street parade. So we moved it into uh, the hallowed grounds of the Sydney Cricket Ground, which is a stadium near our gay district. Yeah. And it was an absolute triumph. It was incredible. We've been so blessed here because Mardi Gras last year was the last big event before our lockdown. And Mardi Gras this year was one of the first big events uh, out of our lockdown. Mm. So we've been we've been very fortunate here, and um, Australia generally and New Zealand. My goodness, we, we we just don't we haven't got a clue what it must be like for everybody there. Yeah, you know yourselves are not and New Zealand have been doing amazingly well. For once, our isolation has pl- has uh, played into our hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, you were born and raised in Melbourne. Um, what what were, you, was. What, what were you like as a kid? Did you did you sing? Uh, was, did you sing or anything? Yeah, yeah. I was a bit of a show off. I was a bit of a junior <laughs> Bob Down. I was very obsessed when I even as a small kid, I was obsessed with pop music, top forty radio. Yeah, I was obsessed yeah. with variety television, with game shows, with comedy on television. We grew up in a household in a family that really loved really good comedy, and we loved American comedy. But our mum and dad uh, loved uh, British and Irish comedy. You know, we we yeah, watched yeah. we watched Dave Allen. We watched the you know mum and dad listened to the Goons. We watched Monty Python. We watched Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. And and then we as and then we had afternoon TV in Australia when we were kids in the sixties. Had all of the American sitcoms. You know, the I Dream of Genies and Batman yeah. and, and all of that crap in Gilligan's Island. All yeah, those yeah. mad cats all those madcap American, uh, the Lucy show, Lucille Ball. And so, and, and all the Warner Brothers cartoons, these were a real staple of afternoon TV when we were kids in Melbourne. Mm. And so we grew up sort of steeped in, in all kinds of comedy and, and also uh, really loving pop, pop music. And mum and dad were, were singers in their church choir and they started their own singing groups. So there was a piano in the house. So there's a lot of music making. So in a way, it was sort of inevitable that I'd end up doing what I did. Do you have siblings? Yes, I do. I've got a younger sister and two older brothers. And I used to drive them mad. Well, my younger <laughs> sister, Claire, well, she was my little acolyte. She had to learn all the harmony lines. And, and if she got them wrong, I'd get out of bed and hit her. You know, kind of so I'd teach her all the songs that I was learning. And then my two older brothers couldn't have cared less. They were out playing golf and basketball and going to the footy with dad. So it was me and Claire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what were your career aspirations when you were at school? I mean, obviously, you know, you never oh, think that you're going to get I into the profession. I was obsessed with journalism. I, I, see, well, I was obsessed with media of all kinds. So there was mm. pop radio, there was television, but I was also obsessed with newspapers and magazines. And um, from an early age, I was making all my own little newspapers and magazines. And then at school, I edited the school paper. Oh, wow. And and then I, I did what's called a cadetship. I started at 17 working on, on the, Mel- the main Melbourne Daily, the um, Herald Sun. 
So yeah. I, I was there. I did what was called a cadetship, a training. I trained as a journalist from the age of 17 to the age of 22. So I was at the paper for five years. I loved it. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you, what sort of stuff were you doing? Were you going out and getting stories was, or? Yeah, chasing, you know, kittens up trees and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and the shipping movements, you know, for the first couple of years. And, and, and also it started as a copy boy. So that the, the copy boy's job was to make sure the stationery cover was full, make sure there were enough paper clips and staples. <laughs> and this is, this is all pre-computer, you see, where everything was paper and carbon. Yeah. And get people out of the, put the, put the chief of staff's bets on at the totalizer <laughs> and, get, and get people out of the pub. Very Irish, I might say. The first time I went to Dublin, I thought, oh, I know. I know where we get all this from. Right, I get it. So, and, and, and then later on, they sort of streamed me pretty early on into feature writing. So I was on what was called the women's pages. Right. And so that was, that was writing features, which was a great thing to do at the age of 19. And then they gave me the daily pop column. So I did that for the last 18 months when I was at the paper. And that was incredible. I got every record released every went to every concert and met every rock and pop star to interview wow. them there wasn't anybody i didn't meet from sting to roy orbison to tina turner to wow. bet midler it was insane i was i was in hog heaven just loved it yeah so i mean how did that how did the uh, the break into comedy happen obviously you know sort of obviously journalism into into comedy is not a normal yeah. journey but because I was doing features, because I was doing the pop column and meeting all these performers and going to all the concerts mm. and then doing feature writing, I was meeting a lot of people in the theatre and yeah. something really, I'd already loved going to the theatre. I'd been going to the theatre a lot since I was a kid and we were taken to see, you know, people like Barry Humphreys and that sort yes. of stuff when we were kids. And so I already had a real love of it. And, and in Melbourne in the, in the mid late seventies, there was a huge cabaret and comedy revival, which paralleled what was going on in London with the Comedy Store and with, um, you know, uh, Jennifer Saunders and all mm. of those late 70s, um, the comedy scene, that the new wave of comedy that happened in London yeah. was paralleled in Melbourne. It sort of went side by side with the punk and new wave music movement. Mm. And so there was a very big cabaret scene in Melbourne of, of contemporary you know sort of alternative cabaret and so I started getting into that a lot too and so one day one day we decided we'd put on a show at a party for our friends where we dressed up in 60s perfect <laughs> 60s gear lip-synced old pop records and lip-synced old tv commercials and put on a, a sort of a live lip-sync tv show and that turned into a group called the Globos and we joined a young people's theatre company in 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 the round the corner from where I was living in in Melbourne, and then we got the group together professionally, and we we got a record deal, and we released a, a single in 1982, which became a hit. Wow! And so we were hosting our version of Top, Top of the Pops, and suddenly we were in the business. So it was all very charmed, and it all started at a party, showing off to our friends. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Yeah, you can yeah. see it if you look. You can. There's a lot of it on YouTube. It was a group called the Globos, G L O B O S. We had a we had a cover. We did a cover of an old Italian rock and roll song called Tintorella de Luna. And if you just type the Globos into uh, YouTube, you can see what we did. It was very high style, 
and fun. It was a little bit like um, what Tracy Ullman was doing in the UK, right. doing yeah. that perfect 60s kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And a little bit like what Pee Wee Herman was doing and, mm -hmm. and the B-52s. It was, it, it was that. We were all obsessed with the 60s in the early 80s. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? The you know the yeah. the fashions and things always kind of come round again decades mm. later. You love what, and I think you love what you were a little what was around you when you were a little kid and you couldn't actually be part of it, but you had to watch your groovy teenage cousins. You know what I mean? I had mm. teenage cousins who lived around the corner, <laughs> and you know they, the girls were crocheting dark green tights, and and the boys were listening to Sergeant Pepper's all the way through, <laughs> and so I was soaking up all of this contemporary pop culture um, uh, uh, you know from a very young age you know like the i can one of my earliest memories is the beatles in melbourne in 1964 oh wow and it was just beyond excitement there were more people turned out for the beatles than turned out for the queen it was insane <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind so of says then, it so all then, really doesn't it <laughs> yeah so the group broke the group sort of um progressed through for a few years and then the group broke up, but then I, I went back in, I, I sort of was out of work and I went to a, work in a friend's cafe and I met a girl there and we started doing sketches together. And mm. out of those sketches that we were doing together, um, Bob Down was born in 1984. <laughs> so Bob Down is like a, Bob Down is like a, a, a what would you call it? It's like a, um, a distilled version of what we were doing in the Globos. It's like retro with popular music and recreating and sending up daytime TV, you know, sort of yeah. those kind of pebble mill uh, yes. you know, um, hosts, those kind of people. So, so it's a sort of a live version of what we were lip syncing, which is kind of weird. Yeah. So, I mean, was he inspired by anybody? He, he's an amalgam of all of the TV performers that we grew up in Melbourne loving. So back in the 60s, Australia didn't have, because Australia is so huge, yeah. you know, it's the size of the United States. But back then, we're only with less than 20 million people. So we never had national TV like you have in the UK. Mm. See, you guys, the UK is so small that national TV and radio was just the way it was right from the early days. Yeah. But what we had was American style local TV. So there were all these local performers who'd come. The TV started in the late 50s in Australia. And the performers that they used on, on early television, like everywhere else, were, they came from vaudeville. They were mm. comedians that worked the live circuit. So they knew how to keep the balls in the air, as it were, in terms of not being at a loss for words. You know, so we grew up watching all of these incredible vaudevillians and they did the Tonight shows, they did the magazine shows, but they also did the kids' TV shows. Yeah. These fabulous old vaudevillians. Yeah. So they'd all be doing quite sort of suggestive, slightly blue material. <laughs> was going over our heads but you could hear all the crew laughing you know that kind of thing yeah so yeah it was so it's a very much a uh, it's very much an amalgam of all these different um sort of real show busy types that were on early australian television see aussie tv didn't go really national until the mid 70s and then it became something else but local tv was really knockabout and kind of fabulous yeah, I mean, so throughout the 90s, Bob kind of endeared himself to the British public. I know you started at the Edinburgh yeah. Fringe, Edinburgh Fringe 88. So, yeah. I mean, how did you get to the Fringe? Uh, was that your well, first kind of experience? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all thanks to Richard from the Doug Anthony All-Stars. Oh, we love Richard. See, Richard, Richard and I were great mates back in the mid-80s in Sydney. And when the Dougs were first starting out and at their 
success when they went to Edinburgh. I think 86 had definitely come. I can organize, you know, I've got contacts with Karen. He got me an opening night gig on the, on the last night of the Fringe. And mm. a part of, they got funding for our bicentenary in 1988. But I wasn't considered good enough to go. So, but my mum and dad were so outraged by that that they gave me the fare and I <laughs> tagged along. And I ended up stealing it out from under them. So, I, yeah, so, so Richard literally, physically, my very first gig outside of Australia was at the festival club at the, at the university, at the Fringe Club. Can you imagine the old beer barn with the balcony <laughs> around the top where they could tip beer on your head? I was so terrified. Richard physically pushed me on to my first gig. But, they, but there was, what I didn't realise was that what I was doing as Bob was such a part of British culture, yeah. the song and dance band, Brucey Forsyth and all yeah. that. So they started, they loved it straight away. And I, I ended up, in the early days, I did a huge amount of student gigs at, at student unions and, and at the polys and the, and the techs and the, and the universities all over the UK where students absolutely went crazy. <laughs> the, the audiences went mad for the character right from the start. And yeah, we were yeah. all... We were all a little bit astonished, to tell you the truth. Yeah, no, we all we all fell in love with Bob straight away. You know, he was just like yeah. un, he was unlike anything that we'd ever seen before. You know. Yeah, and yet drawing on what turned out to be quite a familiar form, which is the song and dance man. Yeah, so I mean, what what memories do you comedy, have? You know. Yeah, what sort of memories do you have of performing at the Fringe? I mean, you've you've appeared. Oh, we see back then, times. the Fringe seemed the Fringe in Edinburgh seemed huge at the time. But looking back, it was very manageable. There were only three main venues. Mm. You know, there was the Gilda Balloon, yeah. there, there was the Pleasance, and there was the Assembly Room. And it was very manageable. So there were only a few hundred shows as yeah. opposed to thousands. Now, I don't know how anybody breaks through now. It's overwhelmingly huge and, and kind of too big. Yeah. But back then, it was, um, it was small enough that you knew everybody, you got to know everybody, and everybody got to know you. So it, was, it wasn't that hard to break through if you had something original and different to present. So, so it was pretty magical right from the start for me. It was wonderful. And I already had friends. So as I say, there was a big Aussie contingent there mm. anyway. And I had the Doug Anthony's as friends. And I had a lot of friends in London who had moved from Australia previously in the, earlier, in the 80s. So I had a lot of good contacts and made friends pretty quickly. And so I ended up, it wasn't long before I was kind of based in London. I was based in London from about 1989 to about 1999 and absolutely wow. loved it. Loved it. Yeah. I've got Tim, Tim Ferguson's coming on the podcast, hopefully in the next, oh, <laughs> in the next while. Lovely. But the All-Stars, you know, again, the, the UK just f totally fell in love with them and they yeah. absolutely ruled Edinburgh, didn't they? At one didn't point. they? And I, I, the, follow, the second year I did their show with them at the, at the Harriet School of all places. <laughs> and it was me and the Doug Anthony's and Flacco. Do you remember the wonderful yes, Flacco? Yes, Paul, yes. Livingston? Paul, yeah. And then toured, I toured with the Doug Anthony's, toured all over the UK with them. And, um, and, and so that was a great way to, being a support act is a fantastic way to establish yourself. Yeah. Fantastic. If you're with the right act, you know, if you're supporting the right act, it's a wonderful way because the pressure's not really on you. And then later on, I did the same thing with Lily Savage. I did a lot of support support acts for, for Lily Savage on, on Lily's tours. And the same thing, meet, meeting Lily's audiences, you build your own audience through that. Yeah, oh, uh, Paul O'Grady. Yeah, he's, he does all these kind of dog programs now. <laughs> I know. Dog rescue. So when I first, we, we met each other at the 90, uh, must have been 91. 
must be the 91 festival. Yeah. And Katrina and the boy dragged, dragged Paul along to see my show. And we just, and within days, we were performing together at a big, the big lighthouse benefit at the Playhouse. And, and we've been close, close mates ever since. We toured Australia together in 92 and we, we did Mardi Gras together and all over Australia. And, and I've toured a few times with, with Paul in the UK and we're still very good mates, close friends. Yeah, I think you danced to was it Swan Lake at one Bob yeah, and Yeah, uh... we did. Yeah, Bob and Lily. It's a, it's um, yeah, we do a um, Torval and Dean thing. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Pretty wonderful. I mean, so, so we're saying about the nineties there. I mean, Bob, he really, really endeared himself to the, the British public. You were on, you did Michael Barrymore show, uh, Des O'Connor, yeah. and you you did the Royal Variety performance and met the uh, Queen. Can you believe it? <laughs> The 1995 Royal Variety performance was it wasn't at the Palladium, sadly. It was at that horrible old barn, the Dominion. And all all I could see when I started my set was a sea of grey heads looking in their program, <laughs> saying, "Who the bloody hell is this?" But it was a really electric night because it happened to be the night, the very night, the taping of the show because it you know it, it it hadn't gone out live for years. They they record yeah. it now ahead of time. Yeah. Um. But it was the very night that Diana's interview with Bashir, Martin Bashir. Oh, right. So it was a big display of loyalty to the Queen and Philip. And um, it was quite an electric atmosphere because of that. And, uh, and, and she laughed, she and Phil, they laughed. And I got <laughs> to talk to her afterwards. And it was, an, I was terrified. It was the scariest gig I've ever done in my life. What did she say to you? Did she say, did she just say hello? She asked, she asked if she could see a ballad work permit. No, no, she just said, I, she did those, you know, they always ask those open-ended questions. Are you working here or there? So, you, so that, that was a good, you know, you could answer that any way you wanted. There's a yeah. great picture of us shaking hands. I'm yes. so thrilled with that. Yeah, oh, there's a sort of running joke. She just, she just asks people, and what do you do? Yeah, and what <laughs> you know? do you do? Exactly, do you do? which is a great thing because she's, she's deflecting, um, she's asking you about you, which is exactly. so clever. She's very clever. But I remember yeah. her handshake was weird because her hand under the glove, her hand was wrapped up, tightly wrapped in bandage. So right. she didn't, she obviously had um, tenor. I think she probably had incredible strain from people shaking all that, you know, gripping her hand too tight. So she sort of just puts, she rests her hand in your hand. It was a very interesting technique that was obviously to do with physiotherapy because you can imagine how yeah. many people would grip her hand too tight. They'd be too nervous. It was fascinating, absolutely. And I, what I remember was she was in her late sixties at the time. And what I remember was her beautiful eyes. She's mm. got violet blue eyes like Liz Taylor, and you know she's into all that natura, naturopathy. You know she does all the the um, royal jelly and all that stuff. Oh, right, she did yeah. have the most sparkling, healthy eyes of anyone I'd ever. Beautiful, beautiful eyes, and it was a fascinating experience meeting her. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, she's in her 90s now, you know, she's... she's Late 90s, yeah. Yeah, she's, Amazing. she's still doing a good job. It was it was such an experience. And, and wouldn't you know it, though, that was the first year that one of the TV stations in Australia didn't play the Royal Variety performance. <laughs> oh, my God. I was spewing. As we <laughs> I say, say you now. were. <laughs> oh, furious. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always been this great great connection between the uk and australia uh so yeah well the, we, the queen is the queen is still our head of state yeah she's on yeah. all our coins yeah she's yeah. on the coins so i mean we've loved people Famous. like barry humphreys obviously dame edna yeah. and les patterson the all-stars kath and kim oh everyone Ralph fell in love with harris 
yeah. Rod Harris. Well, yeah, we won't go down that road. <laughs> Rod, Rod Hull. You know. it's, a, it's a long and, and exhausting. Uh, Frank, Frank Ifield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it, we've, there is a wonderful, um, there is a wonderful shared sense of humour and it is because of our British and Irish heritage, definitely. I think what makes our comedians strong is the American influence. I think that's why we hit it a bit harder and that's the American comedy influence, I think. Mm. So we're sort of, a, Australian humour is a sort of a, informed as much by American, the American rhythms, which are harder hitting. Yeah. And, the, and then you've got the uh, more whimsical British and Irish yarn spinning kind of thing. And then there's our own sensibility in the middle of that. And I think that's what makes us, Australian comics work really well in the States as well as in the UK, whereas yeah. American comics often find it hard to connect with British audiences and Irish audiences mm. and, the, and the other way around. Interesting. We're very lucky. We're sort of in between two worlds, two cultures. Yeah, I was talking to someone before about uh, the whole character comedy thing, you know, mm. and it's, it's always kind of, it's a very British australian mm. thing you wouldn't get it so you yes, wouldn't it get is. it in america at all it's i mean obviously true. as i said like yourselves and kath and kim absolutely love those girls yeah um, I, oh yeah we, we all go back we're all from the same era and yeah. we're all the same young people the, yeah. theater company together jane in fact jane and gina were both in the globos at various times in the in our group so we all go back to the same period in melbourne we're all the same age and we all come from the same kind of sense comic sensibility and of course, I've got that recurring character in Catherine Kim as well. Yeah, I mean, Bob, he's he's kind of evolved, hasn't he? You look at him now, and yeah. he's, he's he's he doesn't age. <laughs> no. You know, and the hair, the hair as well, and the yeah. you know the, yeah. the outfits and it's stuff. It's interesting if you look at the old before nineteen ninety four or five. For some reason, I had a fate, a cod American accent because I was <laughs> sent in back in the fifties and sixties in Australia. If you you pretended you were American, it was considered sexy and fabulous if you drove an American car. <laughs> Because the Americans <laughs> saved our asses in the Second World War. Yeah. And, and so being American became very hip and trendy. So that's where I get that kind of false, weird, fake American accent when I look at the old. Um, there's, a, there's a show from Edinburgh being, uh, that, that a guy has put up the, all the episodes on, on YouTube at the moment. What was it called? It's from about 1991 or 92. It's an Edinburgh comedy show that was filmed during the Edinburgh Fringe and we're all in it everybody's in it unbelievably stupidly young what's it <laughs> called um up your festival right up okay your your, your festival <laughs> uh, up yer it is incredible to look at how young we all are and then there i am with this stupid american accent I <laughs> and then one year i just dropped it i can't even remember why or how but some one year i just found bob's real voice thank god and and that's when things really clicked into place with the character yeah, he's got a very definitive uh, singing style as well, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Again, again, where did where did that come from? Or is that or is well? That I taught myself. I taught myself to sing doing the character. So mm. I started singing the songs that I'd been lip syncing in the Globos. My character in the Globos was sort of like a a Cliff Richard sort of handsome, yeah. you know, sort of Tommy Steele kind of <laughs> yeah. Anthony Newley, you know, one of those kind of handsome pop singer boys. Was well, not particularly funny, but very intense and then putting comedy on top of that bob is sort of like i started singing the songs that i used to lip sync which is kind of weird so i i sort of taught myself to sing doing bob yeah so is he a bit of escapism for you or do you think he's mm. just he's a bit of an extension of your 
your own personality. No, he's definitely an escape. He's definitely yeah. escape. He's, <laughs> he's sort of like my, um, yeah, he's like my lord of misrule. You know what I mean? I can say things as Bob that I wouldn't dream of saying as myself. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's wonderful, and it's of course it's and putting it's like putting on a suit of armor. Doing a character, you hide behind it, and you're so yeah. much braver because of it. Ritual of of putting the makeup on and the wig on, the costumes on. Yeah, it's a ritual. It's like it's very kabuki. You know, it's a bit like sort of kabuki or any other traditional sort of theater that has an, a very high costume and makeup level. Yeah. So there's a sort of a process that you. It's a great pre- preparation to go on stage to have to do all that. I always I always sort of feel jealous and 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 but I also don't understand how stand-up comics just you know amble on in the clothes that they've been wearing all day i always find that just i'm sort of jealous of it but i'm a bit horrified by it as well because where's the distinction you know yeah yeah well that's the thing a lot you know obviously with the wig and the outfits and everything it's a it's a totally sort of a different personality you know yeah the other great thing for me too is that because bob was retro to begin with it hasn't gone out of style it hasn't aged yeah. because he was always retro so that's been a really fortunate sort of part of keeping the act young yeah i mean that's the beauty of it isn't it he's he's so timeless mm. yeah he really, because he really was is. out of time to, he was out of time to begin with yeah. and also yeah. i was i was so young when i first did him it kind of looks weird if you look at these if you watch those sketches that i did, I did interviews on location in that up your festival show and i yeah. just look weird i look too young i've sort of grown into the kind of like Brucey Forsyth sort of character <laughs> as I've got older. It's better to be older doing this character in a weird sort of way. Yeah. I mean, do you ever suffer from nerves or are you totally yeah, just get, let's get on stage and get it done? No, always terrified. Wow. Really nervous before a gig. And but, but the difference being that the minute you get on stage, the minute the lights hit you, the nerves absolutely disappear and you feel totally in control. So that's one great thing about doing it for decades. So you're just as nervous as you always were. Yeah. Sometimes more so. But when you get on stage, they disappear. They just go away. And so therefore you can think totally clearly. You can adapt to whatever's happening. You can roll with the punches if people are giving you grief. If someone's being fan, you've just got such clarity on stage, which mm. is a wonderful feeling. So you completely feel in control. And, and it's involuntary. It just disappears the minute you get on. Those, those last few minutes before you go on are just a nightmare. The whole day is ruined. My poor husband, Steph, it, it, <laughs> he, honestly, the day of a gig, it's I'm a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, you, when you think of what you do for a job, you'd kind of think that you'd kind of build up a resist, not a resistance, really, but a... Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, like you think it would go away, but I always say... You know, if you're not nervous, you're not going to be very good. Yeah. You know, we've all, I've all, I've worked with a lot of uh, performers who aren't nervous at all and they go on and they're pretty mediocre. So I I think that nerves, nerves are because you care about the performance and you care about doing it to the best of your abilities. So nerves are a really healthy part of making yourself do the best you can. It's like before you go into an exam or a job interview. Yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah, really yeah. want it's, it's something that is terribly important to you. Or the first time you introduce, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend to your mum and dad. Mm. You know, it's that that is exactly the same feeling for those people who don't haven't performed. That is exactly the same butterflies, 
yeah and terror you know yeah yeah i suppose it's that definition as well you know i've talked to other other sort of character comedians that they use the you know the wigs and the prosthetics and the mm. outfits and stuff to sort of get away from th themselves yeah and to hide behind them yeah 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 and even comics that do go on in their street clothes and, and they do and they call themselves by the name that they go by you know in day-to-day -day life yeah every every comedian has a stage persona that they adopt mm. and it may or may not be related to who they are as a person but everybody has a character that they put on even if they've got the same name as their but there's the one on their driver's license so we all put on a persona yeah no it's it's absolutely fascinating you know and again it it's it seems to be with the whole character comedy thing that character comedy is it's time again most characters are timeless you know you look at yeah even kath and kim now you look at yeah. now and they're still well, kath and kim it's on netflix and it, it's now 10 years old and oh, more and it has fantastic. not dated because no, it's it just so fabulously written i've been looking at um Catherine Tate sketches that are on that pop up on, on Facebook and you know the um Thomas Taylor's you know her posh lady the yes. one who's always panting <laughs> with the children she is as funny as they're as funny as the day they went to air and if you watch uh, Monty Python if you watch Pete and Dud if you watch yeah. Dave Allen like yeah. good comedy is is by definition timeless I think Mm. Yeah, I mean, you must have had dozens over the years, but what have been your what have been your career highlights? What have been the kind of the the, the things that you remember most? The, the career highlights for me have been that first time that I went on stage at the Edinburgh Fringe in the in the festival club in the Fringe Club, where it they just it was just overwhelming. The response was incredible. Mm. The first time the, the Globos went to, we, we went, we got booked to play a nightclub in Sydney in 1982. We had a little cult following in Melbourne that we have this smash hit with audiences in Sydney. And it happened within days of getting there. And then that, that doing my special for ITV. Yeah. I did a New Year's Eve special, which I, uh, which I wrote and basically conceived the entire thing. And that was with Ant and Deck when they were really young, just starting out in mainstream <laughs> TV, moving over from kids TV. Yeah. Martin McCutcheon and and Anthony Newley, which was an amazing experience working with him. And doing that that night that we recorded that at the London Weekend in that fabulous main studio at London Weekend, that was in 1996. And my mum and dad were there. My sister was there. A whole lot of friends were there. Paul O'Grady was there. Julian Clary came. There were, it, was a, it was a sort of a culmination of everything that I had been working towards. And I'm so proud. I put the, the whole thing is up on YouTube. It's called the Bob Down Special. And I'm so proud of it. I was really ready to, to have a full length one hour special when I did it. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and then in years, uh, doing the Mardi Gras broadcasts in Sydney, I've done nine or 10 of those hosting them for television. Mm. They've been wonderful experiences. And really hard work, but really wonderful sort of, you know, being a part of the Sydney gay and lesbian community has really meant a lot to me over the last, because I've lived in Sydney for nearly 40 years. Yeah. And then um, touring with uh, Paul O'Grady, touring with Lily, becoming friends and touring with Lily Savage. And uh, one night really early on, Paul uh, took the, they took the London Palladium on a Sunday night and we did a big show with the Tiller Girls, with Jimmy Somerville, um, with, uh, Sonia, uh, who yeah. was playing Bunty, which is so funny, Lily's daughter, <laughs> um, and 
I had 20 minutes on my own, a solo 20 minute spot wow. at the London Palladium. And it, that would be one of the greatest highlights. And another great highlight was playing the, the midnight comedy show at the Olympia in Dublin. Yes. And I got a standing ovation <laughs> from an a Dublin audience, which that just blew my mind. So getting the response that I've always had from British audiences has been something really magic. And, and playing regularly at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London has been really some, one of the highlights. And then playing something that two or three years ago, I did at my solo show at Club Cumming, Alan Cummings Club in New York City. Oh, wow. And that was an amazing night. That was an amazing night. I think sometimes, you know, when you, the things that turn out to be the highlights are the things that are the most terrifying, the things that you've been most scared to do, which is playing in a new place, in a new mm. country, in a new city, because it's a bit like spacewalking. Yeah. I mean, have you performed much in the US or is it a, it's no, a, dif very it's a different sensibility, isn't it? Though, very. You know? I, I've always, I think I've av almost avoided performing too much in the States because I've, I've been going to the States as a visitor with all of my friends. Yeah. I've been going regularly to San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles for so long as yeah. a visitor that it's almost like I, I associate those places with relaxation. Mm. So I haven't really want, and when I have worked there, it's been such a terror that I've kind of wished I hadn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really have much, I don't have as much to prove to myself as I used to. So yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Like if you've yeah. been doing it for four decades, you know you're good and, and you, you sort of, um, you want to keep doing it, but you don't really feel the need to prove yourself. It's a great feeling to be, uh, to be at that point in life. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like the American, the Americans, they come to the UK and they do, you know, they do better in the UK and Ireland than they do, obviously, because America is such a huge, huge country. Yeah. And the UK is they used to do that they used to do that here too mm. American entertain quite quite mediocre American entertainers used to come and make become big stars in Australia which has always made us quite it's always a bit of a giggle really yeah I mean thinking about people like Barry Humphreys and uh oh wow well, I mean he's <laughs> you know, the, he's, he's the trailblazer <laughs> he's the trailblazer but even he has struggled in America you know Edna has never been as big in the states as she's been in the UK and Australia because it's yeah. a different sensibility. And they have a real problem with drag too, whereas Australians and the Brits absolutely love drag. And Bob, in a way, sort of keys into the drag thing because Bob's almost like the original drag king in yeah. a weird sort of way. I know. There's just, it's just something about his, his performances are so energetic, you know, you can't, mm. and you can't help but smile and... You know, yes, they're you... about having a good time and, and, and certainly getting back on stage in the last few weeks and months it's been joyful because people have such pent up nervous energy yeah. from being locked down for so long yeah. that to get on stage at the moment is in an incredible release. It's like the lighting touch paper. It's quite amazing, actually. Um, you were saying there that you, you performed with Anthony Newley. I mean, what was that like? I mean, he was just... Well, they warned me. They warned me that he was going to be really difficult, but he was absolutely divine. He could not have been nicer. He was heaven and he had fabulous stories. And uh, he and what he, we didn't know at the time, this is in 1996. He came, he did the show because he was promoting his um, musical with Leslie Brickus that he'd written based on Christmas Carol called Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. And he was absolutely brilliant in that at the Dominion. But he so he was promoting it. And what we didn't know was that his cancer had come back and he was sick, yeah. but he wasn't letting anybody know because he wouldn't have got his insurance to do oh, the wow. show. 
So he needed that show, I think. He needed that big run at the Dominion because I think that was going to make the money mm. to, for his care, you know, if he was going wow. to get sick. He was living with his mum. He was living with his 94-year-old mum in her council house in Bethnal Green. Yeah. And so I think he'd, I think at the point that I met him, he'd had a lot of, he'd had some humility forced upon him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. I think he'd lost a lot of his diva behaviour and he could, he, he just said, do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. And at the end of the show, he hugged me and he said, you've really got it, which wow. I just was so overwhelmed by. Yeah, he was an inspiration, actually. He was incredible. Yeah, such a, incredible. Such a British icon, you know. He was just, in, well, just and incredible. Well, the charisma. I yeah. mean, he's an example of like Liza Minnelli. Like there are just some people that just have, you've got to have this extra something, isn't it? That's what they call, you know, somebody once said that's what a star is. It's that little ex something extra. And, and Newley is a great example of just a completely unique charisma. And the other one who had it, which, is, which makes his life such a tragedy, is Barrymore. Barrymore had fantastic yeah. charisma. And he just pissed it all away with bo booze and coke. One of the most tragic figures in the history of British show business is Barrymore. Because I don't think they know what happened to that guy that drowned in the pool. No. They were all too out of it. They were twatted. Yeah. Nobody knew what it you know, that happens all the time when people are dr drunk and out of it. People drown all the time. Yeah. So uh, what a tragedy because working with Barrymore, the, the, the clip that I, the first time I did Barrymore's show, um, he was the same as Newley. He said, do whatever you want. Just hit me with whatever <laughs> you want. And um, see, that's the mark of a real pro and someone who's really confident in their abilities. They just say, do whatever you want because they'll come back. Yeah. They'll hit it back to you. It's like playing a fantastic game of tennis. That's what like being on stage with Paul O'Grady is the same thing or being on stage with Julian Clary. You know, when you're on stage with these great people, you cannot fail because you just inspire each other and you, you never not come back with something. It's wonderful, magical. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing with Barrymore. He, he, like in the UK, UK, he was huge. You know, the biggest star in the country. Yeah, he's tried to make a comeback in oh, recent years. Forget it. Yeah, no, no it's, 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 it's kind it's of- going to happen. It's quite sad, isn't it? You know, someone oh, is so a, talented. It's beyond a tragedy. So, I mean, is there anyone that, that Bob would love to perform with? Does he have any kind of people that, you know? Liza. I, I always would love to have yeah. performed. I've, I've met Liza a couple of times. I've been a fan of her since I was a kid. And, yeah, I think to, to work with Liza would, be, would have been just like a dream come true. Yeah, I think Liza. I'm trying to think of. Which comedians are I'm trying to think of the oh I'd love to do work with Jennifer Saunders or Dawn French. Yeah. I'd love to work with <laughs> Catherine Tate. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You want to work with all the people you admire. That's the thing. You and but then you get into a position where you could do it, you know, where it's yeah. it's, it's yeah. totally possible. Yeah. So I have I, and I've had the great good fortune of working with people that are incredible, like Paul O'Grady and like Gina and Jane, Catherine Kim. So yes, it's because um, you know the thing about being a solo is what's great about being a solo is you work with whoever you want, and, I, and I'm going to work with a wonderful woman here in June. I'm I'm going to headline at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival with an amazing um, performer and and local star in South Australia in Adelaide called Anne Wills, mm -hmm. and she is a she's 76 and she's a magical natural wow. comedian and entertainer, and we're good mates, and and she's one of those people that it's just a joy being on stage with her because she always hits something back and alan cumming is the artistic director of the adelaide cabaret festival so it's going to be an incredible experience in june 
looking forward to it. Yeah, it's about having that life experience as well, isn't it? You know, yeah, to put definitely. to put into your put into your performance. Totally. totally. I'm also um, Mel Melbourne Comedy Festival is happening again, and um, and I'm doing a week there. I'm hosting a Best of the Edinburgh Festival um, show there for a week uh, at the Forum in Melbourne. So things are really back on track here in terms of shows, which is just so we're moving from fifty and seventy five percent capacity with checkerboard seating mm. to and everybody masked. We're gradually moving into full capacity again, which is wow. amazing. We're so we're just so lucky down here. But we made our luck. We followed the science. Mm. We listened to the scientists. Yeah. And somehow the politicians all found a way to um, work together. And we also had that thing of the borders, border closures that never happened in Europe or the States. Yeah. You know, our state borders, you know, I've just had to get a travel permit to, to declare that I, you know, that I'm COVID free to travel to my home state of Victoria to go down to Melbourne for the first time in, in more than a year next, next weekend. So we followed the science and we benefited from it. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, with, you know, obviously with the whole COVID thing at the moment and how people have had to adapt, Yeah, you know, to, to change their lives entirely work-wise, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, like comedians oh. and things. Oh, it's been monstrous for the people in the arts. Absolutely mm. monstrous. And, and see, we're lucky as comedians because for a long time, you know, you weren't allowed to be on stage with other performers. You weren't yeah. allowed to sing together and all that. But being a solo, but when you're a comedian, you work solo. So we, we were some of the first people allowed back on stage. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed we get <laughs> we get some, oh, so a bit of movement over here. You know, it, it's crazy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, I'll be on it. I'll be on. We're waiting for the vaccines to be rolled out here. And I can't wait to, to get the jab and, and start traveling and working for travel again. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, who would have been your your comedy heroes growing up? I mean, would you have oh, been well, like the Pythons? Pete, Pete and and, yeah, yeah, oh, yes. the Pythons. My brothers, well, the, my, you know, the, the Pythons, it's interesting with the Pythons. The Pythons are the sort of the sort of comedians that your big brother loves. You know how yeah. your big brother loves Led Zeppelin? Yes. And, and your big brother <laughs> loves Jethro Tull. You know, yeah. the, your big brother, your big brother loves Monty Python. So your big brother owns that. You know how in a family with kids that are all the similar age you all own particular you know comedians and singers yeah yeah like with drag drag queens you know some drag queens are the, the only a certain drag queens allowed to do dusty springfield and another drag queen does all the shirley bassey records wow woe betide anybody that lip syncs you know <laughs> barbara streisand you know because she's she's her you know yours so so yeah we loved absolutely loved monty python um but i really loved as a kid really loved lucille ball Yes. Uh, because she's just a consummate. Well, she's up. She's really the greatest female comic. She's up there with Charlie Chaplin. And, um, I, I, and I loved, we saw a lot of old comedy on television, old movies. So we grew up love on, in Australia, on Melbourne TV. So we, we grew up loving people like Abbott and Costello. Yes. Uh, sort of American uh, comedy, you know, sort of um, uh, the Marx Brothers and all that sort of stuff. And then, and then also we really loved, I really loved as a kid, I really loved Pete and Dud. We really loved listening to the goons on the radio because yeah. they've been played on the radio nonstop yeah. forever. Yeah. And then, and, and then in the seventies, we had some incredible local comedy. There was a, a local comic character called Norman Gunston that became a gigantic success in the mid seventies. And then of course, Faulty Towers. And then uh, a lot of local t t TV sketch comedy that was great in the 70s and 80s here. 
So Australian comedy really came into its own on television during the 70s and 80s here. And, and the girls were part of, Gina and Jane were part of all that in the late 80s yeah. as well, before they created Catherine Kim. Yeah. Oh, and, but then I discovered, when I got to the UK, <clears throat> I discovered I'd never heard of him because he's not well known at all in Australia. Okay. Tommy Cooper. Oh, Tommy Cooper. wow. Yeah. Just, I just, oh, and, and then in Edinburgh one year, early on in Edinburgh, I got to see a double act up there. Do, they were, by the time I got to see them, they were in a benefit at the Festival Theatre and they were in their 80s, a, a comedy double act from Scotland called Francie and Josie. And they never travelled much south of the border. See, this is the great thing about being Australian. You, you can play in Scotland, you can play in the UK and you can play in Ireland and nobody's yeah. going to give you a hard time. Yeah. Whereas if you're a Scottish comic, You'll get, you know, you'll get heckled in in the in, in England and, and vice versa, and everybody hates the Irish and everybody hates the Welsh. But as, but as an Aussie or a Kiwi, we we sort of we slip in underneath that. And so I saw this double act called Francie and Josie, and I just was crying with like they were doing a Teddy Boy. They'd been doing this Teddy Boy act since the fifties, but the idea of these old dudes in their eighties being like Teddy Boys was just even funnier than it was when they first did it they were absolute genius i don't think there's much of them at all on youtube but um yeah and tommy cooper oh my goodness tommy cooper one of the true greats yeah no, there's definitely a, a shared sense of humor and obviously you know you gave us home and away and neighbors <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah that, yeah. that was our that was our revenge for <laughs> and coronation street <laughs> <laughs> Kylie and Jason, obviously, you know. <laughs> Kylie and Jason. Kylie and Jason. Oh, no. Kylie's wonderful, isn't she? To yeah. think that she's outlast outlast a Madonna is just so fabulous, so incredible. What a great career she's had. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Have you ever performed or would you like to perform? I haven't with, performed with her? with her, but I've interviewed her. I've interviewed her a few times and she's absolutely divine. Tried to get her for that special, the Bob yeah. Brown special. Yeah. But she wasn't available, which is such a shame because that would have just been so magical. Um, no, she's divine. She's an absolute love. She's a darling. Yeah. No, she would have been, she would have been great. I think her, her and Bob, I think, would make a great oh, God. team. Maybe one day. We'll, we'll put out the uh, <laughs> put out the call to Kylie now. Yeah. Get in touch. Kylie. I'll, I'll even consider Danny. <laughs> Are you that desperate? If I, if I can't get Carly, I, I might even consider Danny. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the whole comedy thing between Australia and the UK, do you think it's, uh, like, I suppose it's kind of, it's, it's going back in time to early days? Well, it, 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 but also it's really become entrenched because of the, the festival circuit. You know, yeah. Melbourne Comedy Festival is the second biggest comedy festival in the world after Edinburgh Fringe, yeah, and the and the you know I'm, the show that I'm hosting is called Best of the Ed, Best of Ed, the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah, so so it, it you know young UK comics and Scottish comics, and so that that traffic has been going back and forward now for four decades, and it's and it's it's huge, it's huge business, and so it's a great thing because it gives there's nothing better for you as a comedian than to work outside of your own culture and country. That's when you find out if your comedy is universal, if what, what you're doing is truly universal. Yeah. So it's a great, very healthy thing for any comedian, any young comedian to leave their own country 
because otherwise you just get stuck in this little cultural bubble. And a lot of your stuff is sort of local references as opposed to stuff that is universally funny. Mm. So it's an incredibly important, healthy thing, this big festival circuit that's happened. Yeah, I suppose you, you've got the expat, expats as well over in... Uh, oh, God, yeah. You know. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a huge amount of Aussies turn up to my shows in the UK. Yeah. And a huge amount of uh, Brit, Brits and, and Scots and Irish people come to the shows in, in, uh, in Australia. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. So let's talk about music now. Obviously, it's a huge part of your life. You've released lots of albums and things over the yeah. years. So who yeah. have been your own sort of musical loves over the years? People that you've kind of followed as artists? Well, I grew, grew up in obsessed and loving the Beatles. The Beatles will always be number one for me because I'm of that age group that, you know, when I was five and six years old, I was running around the schoolyard at, at Marabina Primary singing She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And then I can... <laughs> I can remember watching the Beatles, the very first um, international satellite TV show yeah. is called Our World. And it was broadcast in 1967. And we watched first thing in the morning before we went to school, we watched the Beatles record All You Need Is Love live in, at Abbey Road. Oh, wow. And, and so that was absolutely just gobsmacking. So that journey, that musical journey that the Beatles went on from, from, you know, from yeah, 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 from yeah, 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 to all you need is love to Sergeant Peppers to mm. Abbey Road. That journey was such an, an incredible thing to, to grow, grow up with, you know, uh, and then, and then um, glam rock was so exciting when you were an early teenager. The first live concert I ever saw was Gary Glitter and he was brilliant, <laughs> but what a brilliant showman. I mean, he was just brilliant because yeah. it was it was music hall with rock and roll yes. with two drum kits. That's what Gary Glitter did. That's what a glam rock was. It was music hall to rock and roll. And so that was, you know, T-Rex and all that and Slade yeah. and Susie Quattro and all that. So that was such an exciting thing. And um, David Bowie. And then you go into and then you go to disco. I mean, I was 17, you know, Dancing Queen, you know, you're a only 17 I yeah. was 17 when yeah. Dancing Queen came out so I absolutely adored and loved ABBA and then disco and then and then disco's knocked out knocked out of the way by new wave music when I'm 19 and 20 and 21 I'm sort of this I'm so lucky to have been born in 1959 yeah because I've, I've traveled along with with each wave and each change that's happened in popular music has been something that I've been exactly the right age to love and appreciate so yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I should think very, very eclectic, eclectic tastes in and music. And all of those things that I've described, if you think about it, they're all in Bob. They're all in Bob Down. Because Bob does sing rock and roll. You know, he yeah. sings pop, he sings show tunes, he sings jazz, but he sings rock and roll, you know. Yeah. No, I mean there's Which no limit love. to uh there's no limit to Bob's uh repertoire, is there, really? No. There's a great somebody's posted a clip of me doing Starman on Viva Cabaret. <laughs> And that's, I watched it the other day and I was like, oh my God, that's actually really good. <laughs> I remember seeing, meeting David McAlmont one night at, oh, you know, wow. who did, um, did that fabulous cover. And I told him how much I loved his cover of, of um, Diamonds Are Forever. 
yeah and, yeah and he just he just and he said to me and i love your version of starman and i could have i nearly fainted i nearly fainted because i couldn't believe that he knew who i was the same thing happened when i met helen reddy somebody said oh this is helen this is bob down and she looked at me and she said oh i know who you are i was like helen reddy knows who i am what the hell same with olivia olivia newton john says to me what are you doing at the moment and I'm like, you know who i am yeah, all when you heroes know who you are, it's oh. pretty special. Yeah, I mean, with the, obviously with like YouTube and all this kind of stuff, you can kind of look back on your own. Yeah. You're you're looking back on your life, basically. You know, Bob in oh his very God. Bob in his earliest form. I mean, what's yeah. it like? What's it like watching? Uh, it's a bit you know... horrifying. I'm too <laughs> I'm too skinny. I'm, I'm so skinny, and I'm too young to be doing that weird act. And I'm just sort of like, whoa! I'm just all teeth. <laughs> really it's, it's very strange watching yourself young because you're highly critical too because you can see what what you didn't know yeah i think bob's bob's hair was a lot bigger in those days as well it was wasn't huge. it, yes, it was <laughs> huge and, and i was very skull-like and skinny underneath it that's why if you watch this up here festival show richard hersey um uh, produced it and and he's uploaded all the episodes it is absolutely amazing. Everybody's there. Jenny Eclair is there. Oh, oh, everybody wow. is on this show. It's called Up Your Festival. Check it out on YouTube because it's like we were all so young. Oh, my <laughs> God, were we really that young? Terrifying. That's the thing. As I was saying earlier, Bob, he's kind of, he's evolved, hasn't he? You know, he's when you look into at... himself. Which yeah, is, uh, I think grown, he really, I've, really has. He's grown into, yeah, it's, I've grown into, grown into his he's grown into himself which is so lovely because i would never have dreamed that i would still be doing it all these decades later but i until the last few months with the lockdown and and covid mm. i'd never been i went i went solo at the beginning of 1987 and i'd i'd never been out of work until the lock the covid lockdown happened yeah. i had never been out of work in all those decades and i'm really proud of that because that's not easy in australia because australia is so small yeah i mean that's the thing again with the the talk about uh character comedy where your character in theory remains kind of i don't know a lot of characters seem to be trapped not trapped in time mm. but they're kind of they yeah, don't age in, in, they don't age they're immutable yeah they don't age they're immutable yeah it's kind of crazy um so i mean what's been your favorite gigs you mentioned uh the beatles and stuff before uh live bands have you many, managed to oh, see many uh, the, well the live the live the live gigs that have been meant have, have been the most influential on me seeing Liza Minnelli in Melbourne oh, wow. when she was 37 years old in 1980 or 81. We, I went twice in a row. Me, I took Gina and we went <laughs> twice in a row. Oh. And, and um, so that was astounding. Yeah. And then the other one is Peter Allen, who's not that well known in the UK, but he, he was an Australian song singer and songwriter and cabaret performer. Mm -hmm who made it really big in New York in the uh, 70s and 80s. And he was, he and Liza, had, they were married briefly. He was gay, but they got married in the 60s. And um, he wrote, I Honestly Love You, the song for um, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote uh, Arthur's, Arthur's Theme. Oh, wow. And he wrote, I Go to Rio. There's a musical about him called The Boy From Oz, which was a big hit in Australia and on Broadway. And he was uh, he was an, he was a piano player and singer, but he would get up and dance, and and he had this level of energy like Liza did that that is a real a huge influence on what I do as Bob, huge influence. Just the level of excitement that they whipped up in a theatre 
was something else, absolutely something else. Yeah. yeah. They would be the two greatest gigs I've ever seen. I remember seeing the police when they were at their absolute peak. Oh, wow. And, um, and he was just, just a god, just an, like a, literally a god glowing with that blonde, you know, six foot five with that blonde hair and that crazy modern bass that he used to um, <laughs> sort of move around as he played it. I mean, Sting's just incredible. I'm trying to think who else. Well, Gary Glitter was one of the greatest things I ever saw because it was um, just electric. But I've also loved Broadway theatre musicals. I've also yeah, I've yeah. always loved going to musicals. So the you know things like the producers and uh, Guys and Dolls in New York with Nathan Lane and um, Sondheim. I've become really crazy for Stephen Sondheim as I've got older because I've been performing singing as myself as well. I've been singing. I, I do a show at the moment called Singing Straight where I sing my own, the songs that I really would not sing as Bob and tell stories of real yeah. things that have happened to me over the years. So that's something that I've done as a parallel thing over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, no, I've also, I've also loved your, your performances with uh, Paul McDermott. Oh yeah, well, that's how it started performing as myself because they didn't want me to do Bob when I did that show, Good News Week. And I was yeah. really scared to, to perform as myself, but it was a great thing to do because it really built my confidence. It was great. Yeah, they say he's one of the most understated uh, singers in Australia. I, I think I have to Under, agree. Underrated, you mean? Underrated? Yeah, not yeah. Under, underrated, Paul, that's the word. Yes. Absolutely. Paul's, Paul's an insanely great singer. Just a natural, that beautiful Irish folky tenor. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful voice. But that was the thing that made the Dugs so unique. They would do all that uproarious comedy and then suddenly <laughs> they'd sing some unbelievable ballad. So clever. Such a clever act. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Some of this stuff was just so near the knuckle, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't get away with a lot of it now. No, I don't think so. But again, mm. they've built, they they sort of, they ruled Edinburgh, didn't they? At, at yeah. one point, they were, they were the, like they the king, sure kings, kings of the festival. Totally, totally. It was a thrill to be part of all that. A yeah. serious thrill. And it was a huge boost for me too. Yeah. Oh, and the fact that you're all still, you know, you're all still there and you're all still doing stuff. And I saw the All-Stars a couple of years ago in London and they're still just as good, you know, just that as good clever, now as That was clever, wasn't it? And they, the way they revived it. See, Richard didn't need to do it because Richard's got one of the top podcasts on the yeah, planet yeah. with conversations. And Richard has become such a successful writer and broadcaster in his own right. He didn't really need to go back to that. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul and Tim. <laughs> Brilliant. And then Flacco, you know, Paul. And Paul Flacco, Livingston yeah, on, on guitar and so, oh, he's just and so... he's such a good guitarist. That yeah. was a great, it was a very clever thing. That documentary was quite revealing and fascinating what they did. I don't know if that's been seen over there. They did a two-part documentary about them. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. I haven't, I don't think it's been released should over be, here it yet. Should be, it should be shown. It should be on Netflix. Netflix should get it. But yeah, thank you so, so much for chatting with me today, Mark. It's been an honour to chat with you today. My pleasure, Paula. Lovely to talk. And I so look forward to getting back to the UK. Oh, we need, we need Bob. We need Bob back over. And uh, yeah, send my love to Bob anyway. And, uh... I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All the uh, best. Thank you so, so much, Mark. Bye.